Well, hey, y'all. Hey, Jay. And the rest. Hey, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name is Nick Monroe. I have the privilege of being one of the leaders for our 20-somethings ministry. Uh, I also work at this church, Pleasant Valley, on our adult spiritual development team. Uh, Now, before we dive into the main message, I want to make some space for conversation and maybe a little bit of debate among your tables. Uh, And I was busy this week, so I don't actually have a slide for this. Sorry, Adam. So, but here it is. What is the ideal weather and why? I'm talking like tomorrow on, it's not going to be Missouri and go from 50 to 90. Like tomorrow on, it's going to be this every day. We're living with this. And why? So make sure you know the names of everyone at your table before you answer. And we will voice our opinions and statements to the group here in a moment. So go ahead and do that, and we'll jump back in. All right, let's bring it back in. So, and there was way more discussion than I was actually expecting for that question. So, uh, and I heard some strong opinions. So I want to hear some of those fantastic opinions. What's the ideal weather? What is it? Castle, let's hear it. All right, y'all, that had nothing to do with the lesson, but I wanted to get you talking at least one time. Uh, so, to start our time, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to read Psalm 42 over us, say a very brief prayer. And if you're a note taker, uh, you know, get something to take notes out on. If you're not a note taker, there are some things that might be worth taking notes here. Uh, and then I'm going to give you kind of an outline of where we're going tonight. So, let's read Psalm 42. Man, I wish I had an earpiece mic. And it will be on the screen as well. Psalm 42 says this. As a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night. While they say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul. How I would go with the throng and lead them in procession to the house of God with glad shouts and songs of praise. A multitude keeping festival. Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God. For I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. My soul is cast down within me. Therefore, I remember you from the land of Jordan and Hermon from Mount Mizar. Deep calls to deep at the roar of your waterfalls. All your breakers and your waves have gone over me. By day, the Lord commands his steadfast love and at night his song is with me. A prayer to the God of my life. I say to my God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why do I go on mourning? Because of the opposition of the enemy? It's with a deadly wound in my bones. My adversaries taunt me while they say to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation, my God. Uh, Father, I come humbly before you. 
I pray even now you would continue to do a work in me. Cast down words that are from my heart and not yours. Father, there are so many times where I have been in a deep valley. But you were there. You were walking. You were leading me on that path. Tonight, as we dive into these practical things, these rhythms, these seasons you allow, turn our eyes to Christ in all of it. Lift our gaze up from ourselves and on to you that we might walk well. Father, I'm thankful for your Son. It's his name I pray in the power of the Spirit. Amen. All right, friends, so in our time together, we are going to be looking at how we as Christians are to respond when we face dry or joyless seasons of spirituality. Now, know that I, not, I did not say if. I did not say if we face dry or joyless seasons of spirituality. I said when. This seems to be a normative part of the spiritual walk. So how are we to face it? So again, if you're a note taker, I want to give you three things that I want us to accomplish in our time together. And this is going to come by means of questions we're going to ask and answer of one another. So the first question that we are going to observe and look into is what is a dark night and why does the Lord allow them? The second thing we are going to look at is what are specific areas that the Lord will purge in our spiritual lives. I would maybe add, or should have added, in this dark night. And then how do we respond after we identify an area of dryness? Again, the three things, what is a dark night and why does the Lord allow them? What are specific areas that the Lord will purge in our spiritual lives within this dark night? And how do we respond after we identify an area of dryness? So we will then close with some practical action. We will look at that a little bit more. Uh, So, okay, on to the first question, right? What is a dark night and why does the Lord allow them? So the dark night of of the soul was a term coined by the 14th century monk John of the Cross. Uh, it has since been used in various ways in psychological fields, as well as just kind of conversation uh, of a, to describe a season of hardship in someone's life. However, tonight we will be looking at it as a means by which God calls those who are in him into further, deeper, and more life-giving relationship with himself. As a means by which God calls those who are in him into further deeper, and more life-giving relationship with himself. So the definition that John of the cross gives is when a person loses all spiritual pleasure that they once experienced in an area of their devotional or spiritual life. So he would describe a dark night of the soul as a place when a person loses all the pleasure that they once experienced in an area of their devotional or spiritual life. Theologian and pastor R.C. Sproul says, The presence of faith gives no guarantee of the absence of spiritual depression. However, 
Well, speaking of the dark night, the dark night of the soul always gives way to the brightness of the noonday light and the presence of God. So the author of Hebrews considers how, like a father, the Lord disciplines his children, allows them to go through things and love so that they might be called into deeper and more robust relationship with him. He says this, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted in your struggle against sin. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves, chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure God treating you as sons. For what son is there from a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline, and which all have participated, you're illegitimate children and not sons. And this is the encouragement in that. But he disciplines us for our good. That we may share his holiness for the moment For at the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. For my friends that got spanked, you can give an amen to that. But later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So just as an earthly parent is kind to remove things from the life of their children that might otherwise harm them either immediately or in the long term, So our Heavenly Father will take from us ill-placed devotion so that we can move more full or lean more fully upon him. So to answer this question in short, and if you want to take a note, I'll leave it there for a few seconds and give you my notes afterwards if you don't get it all. The dark night of the soul is a time or place in our lives when the Lord will withdraw our pleasure in something that we have willingly or otherwise placed above adoration of him. Uh, We'll leave that up there. As a brief aside, know that I am not speaking to those struggling in the arena of mental health. I do not want to seem so callous as to give the all too harmful, we'll pray harder and suck it up approach that we can so often find prevalent in the life of the church. It doesn't fall lightly on me. That this first message in our series falls near the start of Mental Health Awareness Month. And friend in the room where this might be the case, if you find yourself in a deep valley of despair that you know you cannot get out of, know that you're not alone, and we need you here. If you want to learn about counseling resources that we offer at PV, I mean, we have been doing a large focus. We have a counseling center over in that corner of our building or other resources in the Northland. I'd love to talk to you. Or if you're like, man, I don't, if like people see me talking to you, one, I talk to everyone, so there's not going to be anything out of the ordinary if you do that. But you can also fill out the connection card if you want to do so a little bit more anonymously. Just fill that out and put it in the comment section and say, hey, I've, I've been struggling. I'd like to get connected with someone. We'll do that. Okay. Just wanted to give that brief aside. Now, before we shift our attention to the second question, we're going we're gonna to get to know each other a little bit better at our tables. 
So I'm going to ask this question of you. Has there ever been a time in your life when something that brought you joy in the Lord suddenly ceased to do so? This could be how you felt in worship, your daily reading of Scripture, prayer, your fellowship with other believers. And then I I want to know this. How did you respond? This isn't a how I wish I would have responded. How did you respond? So take some time to share among your tables and be as open as you feel comfortable. And we'll jump back into this here in a moment. I hope that that was beneficial. I'm going to let that stay at your tables. Okay? Uh, If someone said something around you that resonated, maybe you need 30 more minutes. Continue that conversation offline. Should they be willing to continue that conversation offline? All right. So that's our first question. Now let's look at our second question. What are some specific areas that the Lord will purge in our spiritual lives from a dark night? We're going to be spending a good bit of our time here. This is the kind of meat of what we're going through. So when we enter into the dark night, we can take the footsteps of David when he asks, he asks the question, why? Why are you cast down, O my soul? He seems to have this head knowledge of I know what I should be feeling right now. Why are you cast down, O my soul? So we need to ask the important question of why. We also need to ask the important question of where. We need to identify where in our soul are we cast down. So it is here that I found the work of John of the Cross deeply practical. Uh, There's a brilliant summation provided in a book called Devotional Classics, edited by Richard J. Foster and James Bryan Smith. They get rid of a lot of the these, thous, and other ye old words that when I looked at the original one, I'm very thankful that they did. Let me just say that. Uh, But we're going to take a high-level overview of seven places in our spiritual idolization that the Dark Knight exposes. Also, like with that book, Ben, you got one the other day, right? How much did you pay for it? Uh, yeah, there you go. Like, I think brand new, they're $13. It's worth it. It ranges everyone from C.S. Lewis uh, to Herman Bovink to Augustine. Uh, so just a really good way to get some context and content of classical people, but that's not what our message is about. So the things that we're going to look at, we have secret slash spiritual pride, Spiritual greed, spiritual luxury, spiritual wrath, gluttony, spiritual envy, and spiritual laziness. Again, that is spiritual pride, greed, luxury, wrath, gluttony, envy, and laziness. We'll revisit this list at the end if anyone's not getting it. Uh, I'll leave this up for a second. So I just want you to know these have cut to the bone every time that I've looked at them and taken time to walk through this material and looked at it in my life. Uh, When I look at my life through these seven lenses, 
I found myself pausing many times as I prepped for this, uh, prone to turn again to whatever stream or cistern that I want to drink from. Maybe for me it's shame. I want you to remember that while the dry season we walk through is hard, the shepherd walks with us and he leads us to flowing streams. These streams worthy of drinking from. Narrow is the path, but great is the pasture. So with that, we start our list with secret pride. And I didn't do slides for these because I didn't have time. Uh, let me warn you, this one wrecked me. Uh, all of them wrecked me. This one really wrecked me. And I, as I reflected on them, a lot of them stem, for me at least, from this place. So... Spiritual pride is marked by becoming satisfied in spiritual exercises and religious works. Becoming satisfied in them. It's marked by being content with our growth. More desirous to teach rather than be taught. It shows itself in being hard-hearted and intolerant of those who are less spiritual than us. shows itself when we do spiritual exercises to be seen by others rather than to be seen by God. I could take a social media stab there, but you get stabbed there enough. And if you struggle with that, you know you struggle with that. When we find ourselves in this place, it is our image that we want to be glorified, not that of God. Because of this, we fear being fully transparent when those who hold us accountable, we soften our sins to appear less imperfect when talking to them. It's a dangerous place. We will beg God to take away these imperfections. We might call it a thorn. We do it not for God's sake. Not for God's sake that we will grow deeper in relationship with Him, but for our own comfort. Because if we could find relief from this area of imperfection, it would be less tiring on the facade we so often present to others. In the dark night, we are faced with our imperfections and forced to focus on how undeserving we are and how deserving God is. We are forced to see if we value how we look because of God or if we value God in spite of how we look. How we look because of him or how he looks in spite of us. Next one we're going to look at is spiritual greed. Spiritual greed is marked by the attack by the attachment that we have to feelings that we receive from our devotional lives or spiritual exercises, always wanting more. We will do anything and everything just so we can experience that top of the mountain moment from a church kid, the Christian camp moment. Now that's a bad thing to have that experience, but that's the thing we want, not the Lord. When we enter the dark night, The Lord will allow 
these feelings to be far from us. I think Psalm 42.4. Because of this, we will find discontentment with God because He does not give us the spiritual feelings that we feel we deserve. We want to hold on to the bottle of spiritual milk not knowing that there is a feast waiting for us on the other side of it. We're greedy for more, for more feeling. The next one is spiritual luxury. And I, I kind of, I would just say this is spiritual temptation. This one, it almost, John of the Cross takes a turn here. He goes very practical. Uh, this was deeply formative in my spiritual walk. He seems to take an aside and look at the ways we are tempted, why we are tempted in those ways. So the three causes of spiritual temptation is the physical pleasure the body takes in spiritual things. As the flesh cannot grasp things of the spirit, it stirs up what it can possess, namely impure and sational. I was shocked to see that I had a common experience with a 14th century monk who had far less outside influences and things weighing on him and things presenting themselves to him than I do. And this could be me, but I was glad that I at least had it in common with someone. But I don't know if you've ever had a time where you're deep in prayer and temptation hits you out of left field. And usually it's not the fun kind of temptation either, is it? You feel shameful and you feel dirty. And this was such a good thing. It gave me a field to fight on. That's just my flesh saying, I want whatever you're experiencing right now. That's the first way in which we are tempted. Second one is spiritual warfare against our very souls. You know, in these times maybe of devotion, the, the devil seeks to stir in us thoughts of impure when there's holy adoration. And if he gets his way, we might become weary of doing those holy things just so we don't feel so bad in church or while we have our Bible open. And the last thing kind of stems from that is just fear of impure thoughts. I mean, your soul's so tender. You're so overwhelmed by these things. You're so hurt that you would feel this stuff. And you're just easily distracted by any temptation. You cut yourself off from anything that could be a temptation. Unless there's not the fortitude to withstand the attacks of the evil one. Now on that note, Christian, I want you to remember this. Jesus died for you to overcome your sin and not for you to bear it. Second Timothy says, For you do not have a spirit of fear, but power, love, and self-control. When we enter the dark night, the flesh will be quieted, the devil will be silent, and fear will subside as our sensory pleasures are taken away from us and ultimately, hopefully, refocus on the things of God. So the next one of spiritual wrath, this is was practically known to me as being a saint in a day. Yet again, the 14th century monk seems to understand that we are creatures who want to use our feelings to define truth and reality. 
Nothing is new under the sun. When we delight in our spiritual, when the delight in our spiritual walk is taken from us, there is a chance that we will grow angry, bitter, anxious, frustrated. And once in this place, we are prone to become angry with ourselves, thinking, okay, my loss of joy in this area, this is due to something that I've done or neglected to do. I'm going to say I, because I've dealt with this. I've dealt with all of these, but I will fuss and fret and do all that I can to recover the feelings I once had, striving to become a saint in a day. I'll make greater resolutions to be more spiritual, but the greater the resolution, the greater the fall is. Our best laid efforts crash around us. All this because we often lack the patience that waits for us on the other side of whatever God would give us when he chooses to give it. This kind of spiritual meekness will only come about in the dark night. The refining work of the Spirit by that means. Speaking of patience, we have spiritual gluttony. John says... Uh, John of the Cross, I just got tired of saying John of the Cross over and over and over again. This is a place where once tasting the spiritual sweetness of devotion, a person further longs for feelings of joy brought about by spiritual study or practice. Now I should note here, uh, this is where context kind of waver. John of the Cross was in a monastery. I don't think anybody here is in a monastery. If you are, that's kind of cool, actually, and I'd love to talk to you. Uh, But he would witness people take on painful fasts and practices of holiness that would literally kill them. We don't often see Westerners struggle in this regard. We do hate taking set paces. So the issue that we face is, now that we are growing by the pacer, or the issue that we face is we're growing by a pacer measure that God, we we don't want to grow by the pace that he sets for us. But no, we stretch ourselves and intake at a pace we deem acceptable. Because of this, when we no longer feel good about those devotional aspects of our lives, we think that we have accomplished nothing. And we seek something that fits our palate. This judges God unfairly. As the feelings we receive from our acts of devotion is the least of our benefits, the chief of which is joy and God alone. The dark night calls us to subsist on what God will give when he gives it. Next, we'll look at spiritual envy. Uh, this one, I think, concedes much with spiritual pride, which we have already spoken to. When we consider ourselves spiritual, this can often lead to a place of spiritual envy. The danger of this place is that we can be uncaring or even displeased when we hear of the spiritual growth of others around us. Because our chief concern is ourself. And thus, we want to be thought of as most spiritual. This is contrary to love, which Paul says rejoices in goodness. In the dark night, we find our delight and growth in the Lord alone, rejoicing in all good things that he gives, even 
if those gifts are given to those around us. The last thing I want us to hit on in this list is spiritual laziness. Because when the enjoyment of spiritual things is removed from us, this can be revealed that we struggle with spiritual laziness. When here we become tired of spiritual exercise because they don't yield immediate fruit or feeling. So we abandon them altogether, losing interest in God because we measure God by ourselves, not ourselves by God. In this state, unfortunately, our souls are too weak to bear all the crosses that we tried to take on, the crosses that we thought would fix the problem and give us something. So the Lord allows us to drink of this dark night, calling us to say, remember, child, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It will not tire you. It will not be easy. But you can handle it because I'm with you. We have a shepherd that walks with us. So I'm sure everyone is deeply encouraged and happy now. Um, I was telling my worship team and also some of our leadership, I was like, you know, I, uh, like, they only have to deal with the pain for about 20 minutes. Like, I've been getting just stabbed in the soul for two weeks now by this. So, welcome, welcome to my life for the last few weeks. So, John of the Cross ends this soul-shattering list by saying this. Let it suffice to say then. That God perceives the imperfections within us and, because of his love for us, urges us to grow up. His love is not content to leave us in our weakness and for this reason he takes us into a dark night. He weans us from all the pleasures by giving us dry times and inward darkness. These are areas, uh, those seven areas are areas that we are prone to idolize. The gifts of God over the presence of God himself. Now, friend, here's the practical thing. Knowing where to fight is half the battle. Being able to identify these things in our lives and in these hard seasons when it feels like, why are you cast down on my soul? God, have you forgotten me? I remember. I remember leading the procession to worship. I remember what water tasted like, and I remember what your water tasted, and I long for it. Why have you forgotten me? And to this God might say, well, you haven't been drinking of my water. You think you found a better water. Walk with me. All right, friends, I want to I turn us into a time of pastoral application. So let's look at our last question as we close with some ways that we can practically apply this. This is the point of this series. We want you to leave with things that are going to put feet to your faith. We want this to be things that you can lean in during your week and you can use these things. You can have a list of things that you can take and use. So let's take some time to, and we'll take some time to practice this together. So our third question is this. How do we respond after we identify an area of a dark night. So we know it's there. We've identified, oh man, I'm, I'm dealing with some spiritual pride right now. How do we respond? Well, first we have to lean into the dissonance 
that is provided for us by the Lord. So have you ever been introduced to someone and 0.8 seconds later, their name is gone from you? Not just like a little, you're like, you don't know what letter it starts with. You know their face. You know they're important. And maybe you've had like, you had dinner together. Like, you know, you're like, you've learned their name, learned their names multiple times. And you know, it's never the person that you meet once and never see again. It's the person that like somehow they're your roommate now. Like you still don't know their name. I know Eli's name. I just want that to be thrown out there. Uh, it only took a few weeks. No. <laughs> and every time you see them, what happens? You panic. He's <laughs> like, what's their name? Is it Rick Kevin? I don't, I don't know. I don't know their name. And then by the grace and mercy of God, what usually happens? And no, this person never has social media. It's always the person that like, it must be in the witness protection program. You can never find them. And you're like, all right, it's been three months. We're dating now. Like, I guess I, <laughs> I guess I got to own up. And then right as you're like, I've been struggling with it. Someone comes up and they say, hey there, John. John. And do you ever forget that person's name again? No. It is like, you're like, I'm naming my first child John. Here we go. That's dissonance. That's wrestling with something. That's not getting the answer immediately. You see, in Western culture, we live in a place of instant gratification, don't we? Instant access. This is a hard thing for us to grasp. We desire food fast, exercise easy, and information at the tap of a screen. Which is why we're so mad when they don't have an Instagram. But this is not often the speed that God chooses to move. Just as Jesus walked slowly through crowds, bustling with people, he knew where he was going more than any of us do. But he'd seek out and find and notice the one he was to heal. And so he walks through the busy intersection of our souls on a dark night. Seeking to set and fashion these pillars of our spiritual walk, these important things upon his solid foundation. Rather than the piles of sand that we've put them on. Richard J. Foster and reflecting on this, says this, to desire spiritual maturity without the dark night is like an athlete hoping to become a champion without training or an author expecting to produce a great book without thinking. So walk slowly into that hard place that the Lord is calling you. And when we are in these dry places, we must long for flowing rivers of the Lord's sovereignty to quench our thirst. Not the shallow cisterns of sorrow and shame that, friend, they're more readily available. We don't have to walk too far down the path. We can, we can go off the path a little bit. Well, they run dry. And then where do we go? At this river... On the other side of the dark night, pride becomes humility, greed, simplicity, 
luxury, peace, wrath, contentment, gluttony, moderation, envy, joy, and laziness, strength. So I'm going to invite Haley up. Uh, And we are going to sing, but we're not going to sing with her for the first little bit. She's going to sing a song that's going to remind us of a sobering truth. And thanks be to God that our strength cannot hold us fast in Him. But our weakness did not hold His love from us. He'll not let my soul be lost. His promises will last. I'm bought by Him at such a cost. He will hold me fast. Well, this is where things are going to be a little different for us. I'm, we're going to keep those things on the screen for now. And we're going, to, we're going to sit quiet as Haley sings those first two stanzas over us. I want you to reflect. Where are you at right now? Maybe you're not in a dark night, praise God. But maybe you've been in one. I hope that tonight we can bring some reason to that pain. Maybe you're in one right now. And the Lord's saying, it's pride. He says that to me almost every week. You just have to say, Lord, okay, I'll, I'll let it go. Just let me drink. Maybe you just haven't had one yet. Praise God for that. If you're a Christian, I don't say this forebodingly, but it, it's coming. It's for your good. You have a shepherd that walks with you. There's a hope that stands in contrast to Psalm 42. In Psalm 42, in that reality, our enemy asks, where is your God? Friends, in Revelation 7.17, it says, he's in the midst of us. He's in the throne and he is our shepherd. Psalm 42 reality Our only comfort is our tears. Revelation 7.17 Our comforter will wipe every tear from our eyes. Psalm 42 reality Our souls thirst for God and we only find shallow wells and dirty cisterns. But a revelation we hear that Our God will guide us to springs of living water because he will return to us. So let us consider what springs we drink from before we sing and the hope together and the hope that the good shepherd will return for us. I'll pray for us. Father, this is just as heavy for me. The I don't know what time 
but it is just as good that you're coming back. Oh, Father, there still might be someone in this room who says, I've just been living in a dark night and I can't get out of it. And to them, Jesus says, I got out of the ultimate dark night to pull you out of yours. Maybe tonight's the night. Spirit, would you work in their heart? Would they come talk to us? They can talk to me or Jay or Jane or Adam. We would love see them start their spiritual walk tonight. Or maybe there's a friend in this room where they say, you know, I am in one of those dark nights and even after this, I still don't know what it is. The Lord won't show me. Friend, we'd love to pray with you. Father, would you give us compassion to pray with them? So that we might rejoice in your coming. You will hold us fast until the end. Thank you for holding me. It's your name I pray. Amen. So take some time to reflect as Haley sings for us.